0: We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly.
1: Yeah, my wife and I and our family have been coming to uh, Peak City for about three years now. And we've been through the pandemic and we've been through COVID and shutdowns and new buildings and, and you know, I've been able to witness a lot of our kids get baptized here. My wife was baptized here. Um, I got baptized here, and it's been crazy. When we started coming here, I expected God to move through our family uh, in some ways, um, and I've just been really in awe of how quickly he's done that and how passionate we've become about Peak City and about bringing people here and inviting people here.
0: Our journey with Peak City's Church started, we moved to Colorado Springs about nine months ago and uh, started working on the house and Um, we were doing some landscape work and a crew of guys came to help us put in stone walls and riverbeds and all the other things. I was doing a a labor job and just doing some work and talking to one of my colleagues about church. And he was talking to one of the other fellows about where they were going to church. And I heard and I thought, well, maybe I'll ask about that. And so I was just sharing a little
1: bit about Peak City and how much we liked it. And Trevor had overheard the conversation and said,
0: hey, where where do you go? So I asked him, um, where do you guys go? And uh, he said, Peak City Church that Sunday. Uh, we decided to come and I was really
1: surprised the the very next Sunday which was maybe two or three days later uh, him and his
0: wife came in through the front door and Keith and his wife Carrie were standing right there in the foyer and a big grin on his face big grin on his wife's face we felt connected here we felt like PD and the uh, church staff was right down the center of what the Bible's about what Jesus is about so we knew there was solid teaching here and then it was a matter of us getting plugged in we started to hang out um, more with the McCoys. We got connected to a small group. Um, and somewhere along the way, we were we thought it'd be fun to have a community event. We kind of feel like it's our responsibility in the community as Christ followers to be in the community, invite our neighbors, figure out a way that they can be connected. And if it so happens that they end up coming to church, it's great.
2: Yeah, our journey to uh, Peak City Church started with uh, Trevor and Yvonne Davies. Uh, my wife is a hairstylist and got to know Uh, Yvonne is a client, and they had a lot of conversations together. And then she said, our neighbors down the street invited us over to an appetizer night. And so, of course, I said, sure, I love food and love people, so why not get together and and have a good time and meet some new people? And we invited...
0: Tina and Javen over to our house as part of our appetizer party. And so we had people in the community
2: around. Um, our small group had been invited. Familiar faces for my wife. Of course, I knew nobody when we walked in the door. Uh, but went over there. They were super friendly, super nice, kind of got to know them a little bit. As we were at uh, the Davies house that evening, we got our plates of food and went over and sat on the couch and uh, met Melissa and Philip Young and just started talking about where they went to church along with other conversation. It was a great conversation uh, where we just
0: we're asking about their lives and stuff, and it seemed natural to kind of bring up Peak City and bring up church. Uh, I, we feel like one of the easiest things we can do
2: to to just bring up our faith is just start talking about where we go to church. And Phil was kind of talking about Peak City and, and why he enjoyed it, and talked about Petey and Brittany and the culture they'd created here at Peak City Church. We started boasting about how awesome Peak City
0: was, and, and the rest was just them asking more and more questions about it. and. The comment later from Javen and Tina was, he wasn't crazy, so we, we knew the place was probably all right. You know, after that, we kinda said, you know, we gotta check this out, we gotta try this sometime. That evening, I actually offered to connect with them and pick them up on Sunday morning and we could drive over together. Tina and I said, sure, we're all in. We, we'd love to go check it out. Thankfully, they said yes, and the rest is history. So they're here now too, and um, we just love the idea of being able to talk about a place that we're excited about, that we know is healthy, That we know is safe for people who
2: are new believers and so from the first time that we walked in the doors we felt this inclusiveness we felt this gathering of people just standing out in the foyer just talking and um, we're like well is church going to start because nobody's really walking in they're all sitting out here talking and and having a good time Uh, and we we really felt good about that and then we kind of sat down next to the Davies uh, listened to to Petey preach that day And, and my wife a lot of the service was getting really welled up with tears and really felt the power of god that day and and ever since then we just really felt a family we got invited um, along with the mccoys uh, the davies the youngs we got invited to their small group Um, and it's really a, a sense of family and so we've really just found that here at peak city
3: love that man i love i think my favorite thing about that whole video is that it just proves that most people just need to experience a normal Christian. (laughs) The bar is low, my friends. Don't be psycho. Love Jesus. Love your church. And um, people will be very interested in that. And um, I hope you see the ripple effect of that, man, the power of the invite and how that can spread pretty quickly and change a lot of lives. And so uh, let that challenge you, let this be the rock in your shoe. Uh, You got a month till Easter and I'd be praying, be praying who's your one and be praying that God puts that right person in your path. And then it ain't gotta be weird, man, just be normal. It's normal, man, what what God's doing here is not normal, but you can just say, man, Jesus is amazing, he's changing my life and I found a church, you should come check it out. And uh, the rest usually takes care of itself, so. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get there. We're in John chapter seven today. Uh, If you're new with us, we we are pretty simple as a church. We come in every week and we are so grateful for what God has done. We express our gratitude to him. And uh, we're just so thankful. Jesus has changed our lives. I mean, for so many of us, our lives were on a very, very dark path. And then Jesus... And, and, and everything began to change. And so what we found is we come in and express our gratitude and then we open up the life and the teachings of Jesus and we let his words change us. And today, um, I want to help you get ready for something, okay? I know that's been my theme over these past couple weeks if you've been tracking with us. I believe God's about to do something in your life. Um, God is always planning and plotting and scheming to bring about good things in your life. He's a good father to you in that way. So I believe something good's about to happen in your marriage. There's something that's gonna happen in your workplace. There's something that's gonna happen in your leadership. There's gonna be a new season of influence. God's about to do something, and I see it in our church. God's gonna do something in our church. I can feel it, and so because of that, he's been telling me to tell y'all and for all of us to just get ready. And today I I wanna get you ready for something that is going to happen if all of this is true. All right, if God's about to change you, if he's about to bring a new version of you to the surface, if he's about to elevate you into some leadership, then God has to prepare you because I'm telling you, when you step in to that new season, today what we're gonna talk about is how to deal with something that is inevitable. You cannot enter a new season of your life without dealing with conflict. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know as soon as I said that, some of y'all like the, the pits started sweating already. Some of y'all Enneagram nines out there, the peacemakers, the faucet have just been turned on and you're getting nervous. Your palms are sweaty, knees weak, the whole deal. You're nervous because most of us hate conflict, but here's the truth, you have to hear this. You will not get to the next season of your life. The thing that God's about to do, you won't get there without facing conflict. The people around you, your coworkers, they've learned to love the old you. They like the way things were. Your classmates at school, they knew you before this change that God is causing inside of you, right? This new season of influence, this new season of leadership, there are gonna be some people that don't like it. There are gonna be some people that don't get your vision for what God is doing in your life. There is no way that you will change the past, step into a new future without facing conflict. And let me say it for our church at large here. You can look around and see, the uh, empty seats are uh, getting fewer and far between, okay, and that's great. But I'm telling you, if God's going to keep growing this thing, if God's going to keep reaching people, if all y'all go out and invite one person to church and they come on Easter, then people start coming back. This church is going to grow, and that's amazing. Praise God. Comma, and it's going to be fraught with peril, fraught with conflicts. I'm a church nerd. I've studied this stuff too much. If God keeps doing what He's doing, what got us here will not get us there. The old ways of thinking, the old relationships, the old way we used to do things that is so great and amazing, and that's why we love this place, it will not get us to the next season. It will require conflict. And I know, like no, if you like conflict, you're a psycho. Nobody likes conflict. Like the masochists like conflict. Conflict is not fun. It is uncomfortable. If you like conflict, you need counseling. But I'm telling you, I have seen, I have seen too many marriages destroyed because they can't handle conflict. I have seen too many uh, leaders not reach their full potential because they're uncomfortable with conflict. They sweep it under the rug. They avoid it at all costs. I've seen too many people live, the, live a majority of their lives in fear and insecurity just because they can't handle conflict, and I've seen too many churches fail to become all that God has, has called them to be because they are led by pastors who fear conflicts, who act like everything's great, and you walk into church and everybody's smiling, but on the inside they all hate each other <laughs> because they can't deal with conflict. And, and what, what we're going to see today through John chapter 7 in the life of Jesus, Jesus is going to lead by example. Jesus is gonna show us how to handle conflict. In fact, what I, what I believe Jesus wants you to walk out of here today, being able to practice, and even if you're not a, a follower of Jesus just yet, that's what I love about this content we're gonna talk about today, you can test drive it. You can test it out and see that the way of Jesus actually works, and that could be the breadcrumbs that lead you into a relationship with Jesus. It works. Jesus wants to teach you today, and this is the title of my sermon. He wants to teach you how to be confident in conflict. Not scared, not anxious, pits not sweating, not up all night obsessing over it, not sitting there waiting for the dot, dot, dot text to come back, little text bubble. When you just said something to them and you're waiting to see if they're gonna text it back to you and you stay up all night wondering. No, no, no. He wants to show you today leading by example. All right, Jesus is gonna show you how to do it. Jesus would never ask you to do something that he was unwilling to do himself. Okay, he's gonna show you how to stand up, square your shoulders, and walk into the conflict with confidence. And I believe it's the key to entering the next season of your life. I believe it's key to the next season of our church. We we cannot continue to grow as a church and not deal with conflict. God's church is called to be united. We're called to love each other and you ain't gonna get there without dealing with conflict. And I know it ain't gonna be a fun message. I'm telling you, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt. It hurt me writing it, it hurt me prepping it, it's gonna hurt, but it's the good hurt. Come on, baby, make it hurt so good right? Y'all ready to grow? You ready to, to let God change you in a way that actually makes a difference tomorrow? Sometimes Jesus shares something with you that's like, and I think today's theological. I think it's big. I think it's like a, a universal principle that Jesus has is, is teaching us today. It's theological. It's big. But sometimes Jesus just needs to help you get through Monday, so, sometimes you just need to figure out how to go to work and not hate your coworkers, how to go to work and be on good, good terms with your boss. Sometimes you need help in the practical nitty gritty. And I think that's what Jesus is gonna give you today. John chapter seven, we start in verse 14. Um, if you were with us last week, um, we pick up right where we left off. If you weren't with us for context, Jesus is at the, Feast of, uh, the, the festival of Tabernacles. It's a big Jewish religious festival, big celebration. It's got big state fair vibes. All right, I got you, you see the, the, the people with their, their fried corn and their kettle corn and their cotton cane and their corn dogs. Everybody's loving life and they're going around listening to different preachers and listening to different speakers and they're observing different religious ceremonies. And so for Jesus, this is a moment where he can step up and share the message of God. He can step up and, and, and really tell people who God really is and what he's really all about. But we learned last week, Jesus already knew that in this moment that he's gonna step into conflict, he knew that there were people who already had a lot of opinions about him. He knew that as he stood up to preach, there were people that liked him and didn't like him, people who believed in him and thought he was crazy. And he knew the minute he steps in this hard moment, the minute, he starts, the, 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 the minute he starts preaching, conflict will happen. You know that, that feeling you have inside of you right before you have a hard conversation? And you're like, "Uh." and at some point you just gotta like, Geronimo, I'm gonna say the thing that's not gonna be fun. That's Jesus in this moment. He's gonna start preaching, he's gonna step into conflict and I want you to see the confidence. Verse 14, let's dig in. It says, not until halfway through the festival, did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. And the Jews there were amazed and they asked, how did this man get such learning? without having been taught. Sounds like my, my country relatives back in the South and the Midwest. This man's learned. How do you get so learned? How do you get so learned without having been taught? And Jesus answered, my teaching's not my own. It comes from the one, here it is. Remember this phrase. It comes from the one who sent me. Won't you hold on to that? Very, very key phrase. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether or not my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who, here it is again, sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law and yet none of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? And they go, trying to kill you? Jesus, you are demon possessed. The crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? They're like, Some people go, man, this Jesus guy, he's full of wisdom. Never heard anybody teach like him in my life. Whoo, he's learned, he's an educated man. Some people love him. And then the very next group of people say, this man's psycho. This man's some uh, some sort of paranoid conspiracy theorist. You out here saying people trying to kill you. What are you talking about? And just notice that Jesus, different than us, when we're presented with conflict, we get anxious, the pits are sweating, you start saying things, you get emotionally hijacked, you get angry. Jesus is just calm, cool, and confident. He's like, you think I'm paranoid? You think, you think I'm paranoid? You, you don't think people are trying to kill me? Well, let me tell you why they actually are trying to kill me. In the next verse, Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it didn't come from Moses, it came from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. If you knew the Bible, what happened here is that Jesus performed a miracle, but he did it in a way that the religious people didn't like. Nothing like religious people's ability to totally miss the moves of God because of their man-made traditions, right? God said, rest on the Sabbath, rest on the Sabbath, be grateful for me on the Sabbath, focus on me on the Sabbath, and they started making all these man-made traditions and rules of things you can and can't do on the Sabbath to keep that rule, and they said, you, you shouldn't do anything, but if a baby's born and we need to have a religious ceremony, then you can circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. What? They got mad at Jesus for healing a man's whole body, but yet they're fine to circumcise on the Sabbath. Something doesn't make sense. See, Jesus ran into this all the time, and we still see it to this day. Religious people, when you are attached to religion, when you believe that man-made rules and the obedience of man-made rules will make you right with God, oh, it will blind you to the things of God. It will blind you to the move of God. Uh, I'll I'll never forget in in seminary. I went to to four years of Bible college and then did seminary after that and primarily did it because I didn't grow up reading the Bible. I didn't grow up going to church and so I really didn't know much about it and so I had to go to school and get learned and educated. And so I I went there and in my seminary years, I was in a preaching class. I was like, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna learn how to be a better preacher. This is gonna be awesome. They said, hey, we need you to record a video of you preaching and then we'll give you feedback and, and critique it. I'm like, this is great, I love feedback. This is gonna be awesome. So I preach, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to our church at the time and I feel great about it. I'm up there just, you know, giving God the glory. I'm trying to preach my guts out, I'm trying to be passionate. You know, we call people to make a decision for Jesus and lives are changed, people get baptized, it was amazing. I set that sermon video in thinking, this is a locked and loaded A plus. easy. I get that grade back and it's a C. And they docked me two letter grades. Had nothing to do with the delivery, had nothing to do with the content, never mind the baptisms and the salvations, never mind all that. They docked me two letter grades one, because I did not wear a buttoned up shirt, and two, because it was not tucked in. Because apparently a man of God has to look like he came out of JCPenney. I knew, I knew I was gonna have to find a, a different church if this is gonna work, man. I, I'm thankful for you all. I'm thankful for you. Jesus, can, can you imagine how mad Jesus could have been in this moment? He is brought into this conflict. People say, this man's crazy. You can't heal on the south, they wanna kill him. People are, and again, Jesus, what does he do? Shoulders back, standing up tall, confidence in conflict. Look at the next verse. It says, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, hey, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have, have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? I mean, we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one's gonna know where he's from. More opinions, more opinions, more conflicts, More people who don't know what to do with Jesus, more conflict. And then Jesus, confident, still teaching in the temple courts, he cries out, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but here it is again. But he who sent me, Is true, And you don't know him, but I know him because I am from him, and one last time, and he sent me, he sent me. I know right now you're sitting there going, how in the world can I learn how to handle conflict from Jesus in this moment? I can't relate to a thing you just said. I'm not claiming to be God in the flesh. I'm not teaching at a Jewish festival 2000 years ago and nobody wants to kill me. I hope not. If somebody wants to kill you, let's talk afterwards, man. Let's get you some help. I want you to see Jesus is leading by example. He's leading by example. He's, he, he, he's trying to help you see this is a prototype of how you can be confident in conflict. I want, I want you to dig deeper in this. I want you to dig beneath the surface and, and try to put yourself in his shoes. Because when you do that, I think that you'll see very quickly that one of the things that pops out in this text is that the conflict was not his fault, The conflict he was in was not his fault. Jesus came preaching a message of love and grace and reconciliation. Jesus came saying, hey, you need to repent of your old ways and give your life to God. And if you'll do that, I will wipe the slate clean. I will lead you to an abundant and full life. It's a beautiful message. And it's not his fault that people responded so negatively. It's not like Jesus was a bad communicator. It's not like he was a bad leader. It's not like he was a bad teacher. Actually, and and this is true in conflict. Someone else's emotional response to your decisions, that's on them. That's not on you. The conflict was not his fault. And isn't this why, come on, come on, come on. Isn't this why we get so frustrated and mad and angry when we're in a a fight with our spouse, or our boss has negative feedback, or somebody at school's talking bad about you. Isn't this why? Because we don't feel like the conflict was our fault, right? It's not your fault that some higher up in leadership made bad decisions that has now trickled down to your layoff. (laughs) You didn't ask for this. You didn't ask for the conflict, you did not ask for that friend of yours who's always way too emotional and always dragging you into the gossip and always dragging you into the, the worst parts of their life. Like, I, I could really live without that. It's not your fault, it's not your fault. My, 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 my wife and I, we, we have some conflicts here and there and sometimes I feel like it's, it's ain't my fault, girl, I didn't ask for this. You know, and like, like one of our big conflicts, it's, it's not like a real serious one, but it, it, it's a recurring theme, is our approach to laundry. It's a conflict, specifically my view of pants. Um, I have a thing with pants. I feel like when you wear them once, they're not dirty, but they're not clean. And so you don't have to put them in the hamper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. We We getting some shout outs, man. Yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. (laughs) So what I do is I wear a pair of pants and then I go, man, I can wear those again. Maybe not tomorrow, but maybe the next day. Maybe I'll alternate days. And so then I stick them on the shelf in my master closet. And then I stick another pair of pants on the shelf in my master closet. And before you know, I got like three or four pairs just sitting around and Brittany will come out, just double fisting the pants. And she's like, are they clean or dirty? And I say, neither. Just give me some time, okay? I'm like, this, this conflict is not my fault. If you would just like lower your laundry standards, okay? If you would just like stop type A running this thing and let me be me, just chill out. (laughs) Brittany says, just hang him up. One day, this year I will build a better marriage by by hanging my laundry. (laughs) I ain't committing to that in front of (laughs) y'all. I'm not gonna make commitments I can't keep. But I think sometimes we feel and this is why it, it hijacks us because life was fine before the conflict right it 's not, not your fault that your spouse just confessed something to you that shocked your world you didn 't ask for that you know sometimes I feel like we treat conflict, and the reason it hijacks us is that we we see conflict as like an Amazon package that got delivered to the wrong door, and now some, like for some reason it 's not your responsibility to like get it to the right neighbor. Like you didn't know, you didn't ask for this because we feel like conflict was sent to us. And it's it's frustrating. It's, It's disruptive to our lives. It interrupts us because we feel like conflict was sent to us. But I want you to dig deeper in this text. I want you to dig deeper in the example that Jesus sets for us here. The conflict was not, it wasn't Jesus' fault. The conflict was not sent to him, but actually the opposite is true. He was sent to the conflict. It was not his fault. It it, it wasn't something that he asked for. It would have been much better if he could preach, God loves you. And people would go, wow, that's amazing. I want to give my life to you. That would have been way easier. The conflict was not sent to him, but rest assured, he was sent to the conflict. He was sent to a group of people who could not see a move of God in front of them for their own man-made religion and traditions. He was sent to correct that. He was sent to correct people who wanted to kill him because they were scared of losing their religious power. And I know it wasn't fun for him, and I know it, 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 he had to endure a lot, but he was sent to it. And it's actually why he was able to square his shoulders. It's why he was able to stand up straight. It's why he was able to be confident in conflict because he knew he was sent to it. He was sent. Look at me. You see it over and over in those scriptures we read. Jesus answered, my teaching's not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. He who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You don't know him, but I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. Jesus says, I, I, I'm fine with your emotional reactions. I'm fine to deal with this because I have been commissioned by God to step into this conflict. Jesus says, I, I can be confident because my God has sent me me into it, and I came to share with you today a big theological, ontological, cosmological truth with you that should change you and change this afternoon and this evening and tomorrow at work for you. And the truth is, every conflict you face, you were sent into it. You were sent into every conflict you face. We say God is sovereign, sovereign. Church people love big theological words until they actually make a difference in their life. God is sovereign. You know what that means? That means God's in control. That means nothing happens under God's watch that he's not aware of and in in control of and working with. That means he actually knows the conflict you're in and he sent you there. Every conflict you face, God has sent you into it. God wants to do something through you. God wants to, God, God, there's, there's a reason behind it. You know, one of the things that's so beautiful about testimonies here, when we share testimonies and we have a video of someone sharing their life, what you see in every testimony is that God does not waste anything. Every circumstance in your life, God uses it. We claim verses like Romans eight twenty eight that says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Every conflict you're in, every hard conversation you're about to have, you've been sent. You've been sent into it by God himself. Now here's the really tricky question. <laughs> the really painful question once you embrace that reality, the fight you're in with your spouse, the fight you're in with your parents right now, the fight you're in with your in-laws right now, I know I'm stepping on toes, but come on, the fight you're in with your boss right now, the co- all of it, God has sent you into it. Here's the question you got to ask, though. Why? Why has God sent you into it? And I want you to buckle up for a second. I want you to buckle up. Because the answer to that question is complicated. It's very complicated. God's got a complicated job. You've been sent into the conflict by God himself. He is sovereign, he knows you, he knows the circumstance and you've been sent. But the answer of why is, uh, it's just complicated. It's complicated. So like sometimes, sometimes God will send you into a conflict to represent him. Sometimes God will send you into the conflicts, and I know those of you that are conflict-averse and usually sweep it under the rug and usually just kinda act like nothing's happening. This is so hard for you, but the truth is, many of the conflicts you're in right now, God has sent you there to represent him, to be his mouthpiece, all right? I remember remember in my first few years of ministry, I was cutting my teeth in ministry, I was getting used to what it's like to pastor and to lead, and I was in youth ministry, and um, I got an angry email from a parent. I feel like that should be a seminary class that no one ever teaches, how to handle angry emails. It's like the number one thing I didn't know about coming in. But I got this email and this dad, and I knew I knew, a, I knew it was gonna be a bad meeting because he said, I got some problems with, with the way you're uh, running your ministry and I wanna talk to you about it. And immediately, because man, I'm 24, 25 and this guy was a leader in the church. He was a guy who had been an elder in the church, an overseer of the church. I mean, he was, he was a big deal at the church. And I get this angry email from him and immediately my pit starts sweating. <laughs> Immediately, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. I'm thinking about it. I'm like rehearsing in my head what I'm going to say to him. And I don't even know what he's going to say to me. So how can I rehearse what I'm going to say to him when I don't know what he's going to say? Oh. And this dad comes and he meets with me. I'll never forget it. He comes with me. and He brings his son with me, his teenage son, who was like life of the party youth group kid. Way more talkative and vocal and outgoing. And, but in this, in this meeting, he was a little sheepish. He was nervous. Hands Hands crossed, arms crossed, looking down, wouldn't look up, wouldn't talk. But his dad talked, oh man, he talked a lot. And his dad said, Petey, the big problem I have with your ministry is that you're not being hard enough on sin, you need to preach harder against sin. You need to tell these kids that if they don't change their lives, if they don't stop doing what they're doing, that there's gonna be consequences and God's gonna remove his blessing from them and God's not gonna want anything to do with them if they don't leave their life of sin. You need to preach harder Adam Petey. And then he used this illustration. It remains to this day the oddest illustration I've ever heard in all of my years. He said, I tell my son all the time, son, you're a good kid. You got a lot of good in you, but if you don't get rid of that lying problem, if you don't stop talking back to your mom, if you don't stop hiding things, then from God's perspective, you're like, its gonna be weird. He said, you're like an ice cream bucket with a turd in the middle of it. And immediately I was like, I thought someone was recording me. I was like, is this a candid camera moment? I'm like, what are we doing? And then I went into counselor mode. I, I didn't ask him, but in my mind, I'm like, gosh, what did you endure as a child that caused you? Did you have, an, did your dad try to make, I'm so
0: confused.
3: He says, it's like an ice cream bucket with a turd in it. He said, and God will want nothing to do with you. And people will want nothing to do with you. You gotta get this mess out of your life before God will bless you, before he will approve of you. And I realized in that moment, it's time for me to square my shoulders. It's time for me to stand up. It was time for me to be confident in conflict because my heavenly father had sent me into that conflict to share with a man in his 50s who had been in church all of his life, who had somehow risen the ranks of leadership and became an elder of that church. It was my responsibility. God had sent me there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. That even though it was a weird illustration, I'm like, man, you know, you know God um, knows everything about us and he still loves us, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, of course. I'm like, so let me go back to your weird analogy. That means that like, we are all the ice cream buckets with turds in them. What am I saying right now? Like, it's, it's all us. Like, we, like, and God lo- God, while we were still enemies, God loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and truth is, you still got turds in your ice cream bucket. What, ah! And God loves you anyways. It was my responsibility to share with him the truth of the grace of God and how God knows everything about you and yet his disposition towards you is one of love. His disposition is one of forgiveness. And even once you accept Jesus, you still got stuff that's messed up in here and he's gotta deal with it. God sent me to be his ambassador in that moment. And I had to step up and be confident in that conflict because he needed to see it. I was there as an ambassador, is what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. There are some conflicts you find yourself in and I came to tell you to strengthen you if you feel insecure, to strengthen you if you don't feel confident. God has put you in some conflict right now so that you can be the, the ambassador that speaks on behalf of God. God wants to do something through you. What I've found is that oftentimes when you enter into conflict, God has you there to hold up a mirror to someone to help them see what they cannot see. Some of y'all are like, you ain't never seen this. You ain't never seen yourselves from my vantage point, have you? I also know I've got great power now with these lights. I can like, oh, (laughs) you can't sleep today, baby. Sometimes God sends you into conflict because you need to show them in love what they cannot see. You need, God has sent you as his ambassador to speak up to leadership and say, do you understand that the way you're talking to us is actually not helping, it's hurting? And I know it takes courage, but most leaders are not, most leaders are not intentionally leading in a harmful way. They just don't see it yet and they need someone to step up into the conflict. God has sent you into it. Your spouse, they've been rolling this way for years and years and years and years and you've been sweeping under the rug and it's been bothering you but you've just learned to live with it and I'm just telling you, God might be sending you into that conflict to hold the mirror up and say, oh no, this hurts and I know I've been with you for a long time but did you know, did you know that when when you are faced with something negative that you isolate and you always retreat and it's a a few days before we ever get the real you back and they don't even see it in themselves. They need you to be the instrument of God's grace in their life. I know you don't like conflict and I know it sucks and I know it's painful, but God has sent you into it to be his ambassador. Some of you are, are, are gonna enter into a conflict and you're gonna be the confident one. You're gonna be the overpowering one. You're gonna be the one who speaks the truth and you're gonna see the person you're in conflict with has no self-worth. And you've been sent there to bring the mirror up and say, let me, let me, let me tell you how God sees you. <laughs> You might not think you have much to offer, but let me tell you, God has created you in his image and he's got a divine purpose for your life and he loves you and he wants to transform. I'm telling you, some of you were sent into the conflict to hold the mirror up and to help. When, when, when people say, man, I, I hate it when people don't have self-awareness. Well, how will they ever grow in self-awareness if they are not shared the truth in love? God uses you to be his ambassador. And sometimes when you ask the question, God, why did you send me in this conflict? Sometimes it's because he wants you to hold the mirror up. But be careful, be careful. Because what I've also seen is that a lot of times God will send you into the conflict and it's not to hold the mirror up. You might think it is, you might go and say, God sent me here, I'm gonna correct that person, I'm gonna tell them how it is. And what I've seen is that a lot of times God actually uh, does something different. You know, it's like you're you're over here and you're holding the mirror up and you're looking at, at all of them, going, Man, do you see yourself? You see how bad you are? You see how messed up you are? Do you see? Do you see what you're doing to our marriage? Do you see what you're doing to our workplace? And you get right in the middle of it, and then all of a sudden you go, Oh no. Oh no. You realize you're in the middle of the conflict. And it's you, <laughs> it's you that God is wanting to confront. You're not there to represent God. God actually has you in the conflict because you need to repent. You need to own some things in your life that are real. Like when I'm in conflict with my kids and I'm so mad at them, like, do you see that you're so disrespectful to your mom? Do you see that you're not doing your chores? And also, I'm in the middle of the conflict and God goes, do you see how impatient you are with him? Do you see? I'm so patient with you as your heavenly father and you just have no patience for them. Like, what is going on? It's like you're in the conflict with your spouse and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, we made vows and you promised that you would meet my needs. You promised me that you'd be that person. And all of a sudden it's like, do you see how selfish you have become? Do you see that Jesus asked us to lay down our lives for our spouse and you're over here mad at him and can't give him two weeks of grace? The mirror gets held up. To you, the mirror shines on you and, and you are confronted with the reality that there are things in your life that you've got to deal with. Yeah, 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 I, I know your boss is bad. I know it's brutal. I know, man, they can't even see how they're treating people. Man, that, your, your boss is asking too much of you. And you overcommitted yourself. And you oversold and underdelivered. You wrote some checks you can't cash in that interview process. You better be careful holding this mirror up. Sometimes God sends you into conflict to represent him. And sometimes he sends you into conflict to repent. It's represent or it's repent. It's it's help someone see themselves or God is gonna send you in the middle of it to show you something that you have never seen before about yourself. And this is why I say it's complicated. This is why I say it's complicated. Because most of the time, it's both. That's why it's complicated. That's why this is a nuanced sermon. You want an easy, clean cut, black and white sermon? This is nuanced. It's both. Think about how complicated God's job is. Think about how how complicated it is to deal with sinful people and use sinful people to expose sinfulness in other sinful people almost every conflict you're in right now, there is something God wants you to represent from Him, and there's something He's calling you to repent of, to turn away from, to go the other direction. And you, if if you're gonna enter into the next season of your life, if you're gonna get ready for the thing that God's about to do, you must embrace the nuance, you must embrace the tension, you must embrace the conflict, you must in humility go, God, everything you sent me to right now, I'm mad about it, I'm frustrated about it, it makes me feel some type of way, but I trust that you have something for me in it. People are not all good or all bad, you know that, right? And you are not all good or all bad. It's complicated, it's complicated. I love how the psalmist puts it. I think it's the the, the answer, you know, when you think about how to apply this to your life, Psalm 139, I love this, he says, you can, you can hear the conflict and you can see the humility. It's the perfect prayer. It's the perfect passage for you. If you're heading to work tomorrow and you're stepping into conflict, you need to read Psalm 139. If you're going home today and you've got an issue with your spouse that you're about to step into, you need to read Psalm 139 today. Okay, it says this. It says, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? Conflicts. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Whoo, that's some conflict. He's like, God, I see how people are treating you and I don't like it. I see how my neighbors are living and I don't think it's good. I see how my classmates are treating people and, and disrespect you and I don't like it. I feel like there's something I need to confront. There's some conflict. And then look what he goes straight after the emotion and the feeling of conflict. Look where he goes next. So search me, God search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Conflict, conflict, man, this is hard. I hate this. It it makes me mad. But Jesus, will you search me? Will you know my anxious thoughts? Will you test me? Will you point out anything that's offensive to me? God, I know that you have sent me into this conflict both to represent you and to repent, represent and repent. You want something for me. You want something for them. And so God, I open myself to you. Would you teach me? I humble myself before you, Jesus. And I, with confidence, enter into this conflict knowing that it will not be wasted. You will do something for their good and for my good because you're a good God. You know, I, I put this into practice this week. <clears throat> I ain't never gonna sell you something I ain't smoking myself. And I put it to practice in a really hard conversation. And, um, and I was nervous about it. It was, it was conflict that I was in and I had to have a really, really, really hard conversation. And I walked into that conflict and I was nervous about it, man. I was was like, oh, I was rehearsing what I'm gonna say. And then I had this sermon cooking and I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna see if it works. Because if it doesn't work, I ain't gonna preach it to you. And so I said, God, you've sent me into this conflict. There is something something I need to do. I need to hold the mirror up for them and show them some things that they cannot see. And God, I trust that in the middle of it, I'm gonna look at the mirror and I'm gonna see some things in myself that are not good and some things I need to own. And when I had that perspective, it was like all the anxiety went away. I wasn't nervous anymore. I didn't even really think about it again until I was in the moment with that person. And, and the conversation was just so filled with grace and humility on both sides. I held the mirror up and they received it. And then I looked in the mirror and I owned some stuff. I know that I've actually contributed negatively to this situation, and I need to ask for your forgiveness in that. And forgiveness. Grace was extended. Forgiveness was extended. I mean, can you imagine how much better your marriage would be, your friendships would be, your workplace environment would be if you went into every conflict like this? Say, God, you sent me. I ain't here by accident. So, what do you want to do? You want to do something to me? You want to do something to them? Or more likely, God, what do you want to do in both of us? And we surrender ourselves to it. Because you have to hear this. God loves you too much to let you go on believing a lie. God loves you too much to let you go on thinking that you have no fault in this. God loves that person in your life too much to let them go on in harmful ways that they don't even know are harmful. God loves you too much. We sang it just a second ago. We said, uh, no, no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Every conflict you experience, it is God trying to kick down the lies, tear down the walls, light up the dark places of your heart. He's doing it for your good. It took conflict, you, you, you have to use, it took conflict to rescue you Your soul was saved through conflict. You were in conflict with God. Your sin was in direct conflict with the holiness of God. Your sin separated you from your creator. And Jesus came into that conflict and stretched his arms out and bridged that gap. Through his death on the cross, You can now no longer live in conflict with God. You can be forgiven and restored. Your soul was rescued through conflict. So of course, it's going to be restored through conflict. If he rescued you through conflict, it's gonna take conflict to to turn you into the man or woman you were created to be. And I wanna give you the chance just to declare to God that you're ready for that. I I think some of you need, uh, some of you today are living in conflict with God. And maybe today is the day that you decide once and for all that because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you're gonna accept his forgiveness, you're gonna accept his grace, and you're no longer gonna live in conflict with God. But I think many of us are walking into some relationships and some circumstances this week where we need to ask God for the courage. We need to ask God to square our shoulders, stand us up, and walk into conflict with confidence. And maybe today is the day you declare to God that you're ready for that. You're ready to step into that hard conversation. You're ready to reconcile with that person. You're ready to say the thing that you know you should have said years ago, and you're ready to receive the feedback. And I think that's a powerful decision. I know it's a practical, tangible decision, but I think it can change Monday for you. And so I wanna give you the chance to declare that to God today in a private moment with him. Would you stand with me to your feet? If you're new with us, we do this in every service. It's a private moment between you and God. Um, We don't boast your decision around in front of people. We don't don't even really ask you to do anything other than just declare it to God. It's It's a private decision between you and him. And so we ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes in the room to create that privacy. If you're online with us, you can do the same. You can put it in the chat if you wanna make a decision. We'd love to hear from you. Last service, we had a couple people who made this big decision, and it's the decision to become a follower of Jesus, to give your life to Him. That right now, you know that you've been living in conflict with God, and today is the day that you put your trust in Jesus. You let what He did for you on the cross bridge the gap between you and God. You can walk out of these doors today forgiven and free and reunited with your Creator. And if that's the decision you wanna make, you you don't have to have your life cleaned up, you don't have to have the Bible memorized, you don't have to have it all buttoned up and put together. You just gotta be ready to say yes to starting the journey of following Jesus, yes to his unconditional love. If that's the decision you wanna make to become a follower of Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. It's incredible, that's amazing. So beautiful. You can put your hands down, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. For those that just made that decision, I want you to hear me say it on behalf of our whole church. We got your back. We got your back. You have just made the most important decision that you could ever make. Everything can change from this moment on. Jesus sees your decision. He sees your faith and he's ready to begin a journey with you that you will never regret. All of heaven is celebrating right now over those decisions. So good. For the rest of us in the room, maybe today's the day that you say, Jesus, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to be confident in conflict. I don't wanna be anxious in conflict. I don't wanna be scared of conflict. I don't wanna avoid conflict. I wanna be confident in it, but I need your spirit to help me do it. And today you're ready to commit that to Jesus. You're ready to commit to him that you're gonna walk into conflict knowing that he has something good for you. Maybe it's a hard conversation you gotta have today, Maybe it's something you gotta say this week, but you wanna commit to God that you're ready to do it. If you wanna commit to God, this aspect of your life to be confident in conflicts, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. It's beautiful, hands up all over the room. Come on, man, let's keep those hands up and let's pray to God right now. Jesus, Jesus, we thank you for what you have done in this room today. Every hand that's up right now, we call on your name. We call on your spirit to fill us with boldness, fill us with courage. We have no reason to fear. There ain't nothing to fear in this life because you work all things together for the good of those who love you. So God, I pray for every hand that's raised right now. I pray that you would reconcile and restore relationships. I pray that you would do something in their workplace, do something in their marriage, do something in their friendships, God, that only you can do. And we believe that you're going to do it, Jesus. We believe it. We celebrate you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray together by saying amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate what God's Spirit has done in the room today. Let's go.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.